Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, welcome to the Ruler Podcast. I'm Ian Parkinson. As the Vuelta a España winds its way from Nîmes in the south of France to the Spanish capital, there's a distinctly Iberian feel to this edition. The last Grand Tour of the year sometimes struggles to get the same attention as its French and Italian counterparts, but it's not for want of trying. This year, the riders will cover 3,300 kilometres, with five mountain stages, including, on the penultimate day, the fearsome climb of the Angliru, which hits more than 23% in parts. We'll be hearing from the man who won 16 stages at the Vuelta across his career and won the race overall in 1988, Sean Kelly. Sean will be talking us through his collection of jerseys and trophies, including the GC jersey from that Vuelta, which in those days was yellow rather than the red of today. We'll also hear from the man whose job it is to keep the Vuelta punching above its weight, race director Javier Guillén. But first, the familiar voice of David Miller, who rode the Vuelta seven times, won five stages, and like Spain so much, he moved there. That was my favourite Grand Tour for just... I mean, the Tour was my... kind of what I lived for, but for just just being a bike racer, the Vuelta, for sure, because you could just go there, you had no stress, no... It, wasn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have the same pressure, you don't have the same responsibilities there as you would do at Tour de France. The Vuelta normally get there and the team had already kind of ticked all its boxes for the year so I could just go and race the bike however I wanted and I used to love that that's why I was so lucky why I got so many good results there I won so many stages because I just loved it I just loved being able to go and go out and race my bike and not have to worry about anything else and I think that was the same for many riders we treated the Vuelta as our, our favourite and again it's each race it's very much it reflects its culture and Spain as a whole is very relaxed and, and a kind of happy-go-lucky place and I think that was reflected in the Vuelta was that a factor in you deciding to move there and make your home there? No, not really. I mean, because we were just find, trying to find a place in where the training was good. And I had thought of it, was thinking about Tuscany, but spent some time there. I was like, no, my, my wife came. She was like, no. Um, and so it's Christian Vanderveld. He said, well, just come and spend a couple of days with me in Girona. I'd, and amazing, I'd never been to Girona. And I um, went there and within two days we were like, yeah, this is perfect. And you can see now there's about 60 pros there. It is perfect for professional cycling, for training, for being a professional cyclist. And so it was chosen for purely professional reasons. And, and now we live there permanently and kind of have fallen in love with it. David Miller. 
Sean Kelly will forever be remembered as one of the greatest classics riders of all time, but especially towards the end of his career, he was a strong Grand Tour rider as well. In 1988, he won the Vuelta after a three-week battle that was really only decided in the time trial with two days to go. Mementos of his long career were on display at last year's Ruler Classic. Sean Kelly, we're standing in front of uh, an extraordinary uh, collection of jerseys and trophies and, and memorabilia. Throughout your career, did you just collect these all the time? Um, well, I think I was lucky because I lived in Belgium uh, with a family, Herman and Elise Nice, and uh, Herman, uh, he uh, went about collecting the trophies because at the race, of course, when you finish a race, uh, you go to the podium, you get the trophy, but then it goes to the team uh, truck or the team car and it's left in there and if you don't take it out and take it home, well then it gets mislaid and given to a cafe somewhere in Belgium or in France. And uh, So he looked after that and that's the reason I have such a, a magnificent uh, collection. Uh, I remember um, uh, probably at the time seeing a picture of your, uh, you with your Paris-Roubaix bike, I think the day or so, a couple of days afterwards, still sort of unwashed, sort of... Uh, back at back at home. Yes, well, I think uh, we see a lot of uh, the Paris Roubaix bikes uh, of the winners uh, who they just uh, leave them as they uh, as they finish the race, and um, you know they display them, and that I think uh, was the reason I was keeping it for the bike supplier, and uh, just uh, I suppose keep uh, keep the um, memories of the uh, the great day uh, in the head of the north in Roubaix. Keep it keep it going when you have it there in your garage. You can look at it over a number of days. Uh, let's start with this jersey down here, which is you've actually uh, framed the Tour de France, uh, the, the yellow jersey, famous yellow jersey from the Tour de France in 1983. Talk us through your memories, if you can, of uh, of 1983 at the Tour. Well, uh, I suppose are good memories when you get the yellow jersey in the Tour of France. Of course, they're always good, but also there's some bad ones because I took it, um, the jersey, uh, on the stage into Po. The next day uh, was a big mountain stage, so I lost it immediately on the next day. So I only uh, uh, carried the yellow jersey for one day. So, yes, it's, uh, it's a dream, I suppose, come true for any uh, professional to have yellow jersey in the Tour of France, but it was, uh, it was a short-lived one for me. I think I can see two of the green jerseys from, uh, from your tours. Uh, the green jersey, of course, which you were famous for winning. You almost had your, had your name on them. There's, there's one over there from 1989. Well, there was a number of green jerseys, of course. I won it a number of times. So, uh, 89 was uh, my last one. I was riding with the PDM team. Um, so, yeah, it's a one I remember a bit more uh, clearer than the other ones uh, because it was my final one. Um, you know, I was riding very well. I crashed in the beginning of season, uh, was out for a number of weeks. Uh, so I came to the Tour of France quite uh, fresh, with a lot of uh, um, a lot of energy, and uh, yeah, it was one of the tours I enjoyed a lot because uh, I was up there in the general classification. But I won the I won the green jersey pretty comfor comfortably. Looking back at uh, the, the the years that you uh, rode, the many years that you rode the tours, what, what are your sort of happiest memories? What are your, your best memories from the tour? Well, the best memories are the years where you finish really good. When you finish your Tour of France in the final week and you're, you're really feeling good, well, then um, physically you're feeling good. Mentally, then also, you know, it, it's really good. Um, so you enjoy, the, you enjoy no matter what the outcome. And, of course, if you're, uh, if you're going into Paris in the final days and especially arriving on the Champs-Élysées on the final day in a green jersey, you know, it's, uh, it's a great feeling and it's an achievement because to finish the Tour of France but to come onto the Champs-Élysées with one of the jerseys and the green jersey is a very important one uh, in the Tour of France. Um, 
you have to be finishing well, and uh, they are the uh, they are the good ones uh, when you do finish in that situation. But some years, you know, you struggle in the final week, and then it is a difficult one because you uh, you start to suffer all through the final week, no matter what the uh, parkour is. If it's the flat stages or the mountain stages, you're all you're just counting down the days to get to the sh- uh, to the Champs Elysees and get to Paris. Right up in the corner there is a jersey which uh, we don't see anymore. The the combined jersey. A lot of people won't even know what the combined jersey looks like uh, for the combined jersey from the tour in 1989 for those too young to remember what was the uh, combined jersey well it's a combined classament of course you know in the general classification in the mountains uh, in the points uh, all of that is put together and uh, then it's uh, the the the, uh, the, the, uh, the smallest total number of points uh, your leader in that competition and that's something uh, we haven't seen for many years uh, in the uh, in the tour before we move on to the other Grand Tours, there's uh, a couple of white jerseys from Paris-Nice. Uh, again, which, uh, a race which you won seven times? Seven, yes. Amazing, you know, winning the Paris-Nice seven times. And uh, it's a race that I was, uh, you know, really had a lot of look in the race because uh, to win a race seven times on the trot, let's not forget, uh, you know, not to have a crash and to go out of the race. Um, I seem to be so lucky in that race. And... From the time I'd you know, won three or four times, I did not really you know, concentrate and focus big time on Paris-Nice. I was trying to you know, think of more of the classics a, a number of weeks later, but always found myself in the, uh, in the, in the uh, important or the uh, decisive breakaways. Also, I think I was lucky with crashes and that just managed to be in the right place and not get tied up in crashes. And yeah, that's, that's something I think uh, I will always... Uh, Remember, Paris-Nice was one of the races where I was very lucky. You have to be OK. You have to be in good shape to win it, but sometimes, yeah, luck is very important because if it's the other way and you have a bit of bad luck, you can lose a race so easily. You rode the, the Giro, but it was never, that, that was never really a lucky race for you, unlike Paris-Nice in some ways, was it? No, well, I rode the Giro on just one occasion when I was uh, at the end of my career with Festina. Uh, the reason I went to this, uh, I went to the race was to get the team started because if I was not on the start uh, on the team for the start, well then the team wasn't going to be getting an invitation. And um, the deal was that I would do it ten days. And uh, I just, you know, when you go with that idea and that mentality, of course, it's very difficult to uh, have a good race because you know you're going home after a certain number of days. Uh, what was the experience like of, of riding the Giro, though, compared to the Tour? Can you remember that? During my career was a race I would have liked to have, you know, ridden uh, during my uh, my good days. Um, and when I went to was in the '92 with Festina, I I enjoyed it. Although I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really, you know, focused and I wasn't really taking it serious. But I still enjoyed it. But um, I would have loved to ride it during the times of Mosul when it wasn't so difficult mountainous-wise because the organisers made it to suit those Italian riders, and uh, um, it would have been, you know, a sort of a route, a parkour that would have suited my my style as well. Because we all know the big mountains was, you know, the most difficult one where I was, you know, at my least, my least strongest. You were riding the, the Grand Tours, um, and your career stretched over some absolutely legendary names. I mean, in, in some ways, you were unlucky that there were so many giants of the sport riding at the same time as you. So you started with Merckx, uh, riding at the same time as Merckx, and, and finished with uh, Indyride. Do you think that we'll, we'll, we'll see um, people dominating the sport? I mean, you, you have people now who win maybe one of the Grand Tours and, or they specialise in classics. But yeah, people like Merckx uh, and others, they dominated every type of racing in a way that 
you did as well. You did the classics. You did uh, um, you, you did the uh, uh, the monuments like the Liège Bastogne and the Liège, and you did the Grand Tours as well. Has cycling changed so much now that we'll never see that sort of dominance again? Well, um, I think we could see uh, you know riders winning. Uh, two big tours uh, in a season, and uh, if you you know if you look at more recent, I suppose Tour of France and the Vuelta is possible. But to do Giro and Tour, that is becoming you know very difficult, and it looks like that it's it's pretty much impossible to do. And the reason being, you know, the Giro it's such a difficult race now, and. Um, the time between finish of Giro and the start of the Tour of France, you know, it's uh, it's a very short recovery time. Um, so you know, to recover and then to start uh, your training or build up to the Tour of France uh, again, it's just uh, there's not enough weeks in there between those uh, those events. If you look at uh, Tour and Vuelta, you can call that a bit of a dominance as well. To win two big tours in a season, uh, it's certainly you know, it's you can you can call it it's a, a dominance in the big. In the big tours. Speaking of the Vuelta, of course, just behind us is the uh, yellow jersey, the Amarillo of um, of the Vuelta in in 1988, um, which you which, which was yours. Um, talk us through that, though, because that was that was you that went almost to the very end, didn't it? Almost to the finish line. Yes. Well, 87, um, I was riding very well in the Vuelta, and then I got a problem. I got a saddle sore um, three days before the finish, and I had to uh, I had to abandon the race with the uh, uh, with the race leader's jersey on my shoulders, um, so yeah, 88, I, w- I went back and uh, you know, um, you know, with the idea of trying to win it, and I managed to do that. And of course, riding for a Spanish team, Cas, that was the most important uh, Grand Tour for the sponsor. And you know, the uh, uh, the boss of Cas always said, you know, the uh, the Vuelta is the most important race uh, for us on the uh, on the big tour calendar. So to win it in uh, 88 was yeah, it was great to do that, first of all because of the team, but also I, had, I spent many years trying to, uh, trying to win a Tour of France or trying to get on the podium of the Tour of France. And of course then, because of all that work I put in with Tour of France and the Vuelta for a number of years, managed to win it in the end. And let's not forget, I started out my career as a sprinter and uh, slowly I developed you know, to becoming a stage race rider, you know, winning Paris-Nice, winning Tour of Switzerland and then slowly becoming a candidate to win a big three-week tour and that was because I was with a director sportive John de Gabaldi which worked with me for many many years and you know he was all the time you know trying to convince me that you know if I continued on I could eventually win a three-week tour. You had to fight virtually to the last day though wasn't it? It was a day to go that that kind of victory was, was, was in your pocket almost. My problem was in the big tours, uh, in the mountain stages, I was always you know, losing a little bit of time in the mountain top finishes. So I was trying to pull that back maybe in the time trial, and that was the way it, it went in 88. It went down to the penultimate day, there was a time trial, and there I, you know, I, took, the, uh, uh, I took the race leader's jersey and uh, continued and won the race outright. The rider of my qualities, it was always going to be difficult to win a, a three-week tour comfortably, but yeah, it doesn't matter how you win. If you can you know, uh, finish in Madrid on the final day with the race leader's jersey, that's what matters. Looking around at all these uh, things we're surrounded by, loads of things we haven't talked about here, the uh, Super Prestige Perno, uh, the, uh, the cobble from the uh, Paris-Roubaix, uh, the trophy of Liège, best on Liège. If, if you're only allowed to keep one of them, which one would it be? Which one means most to you, do you think? 
the couple of Paris Roubaix, and that would be my first one, of course, '84. I think yeah, I won it in in real, real big style. I was in real good shape, and you know I rode a lot of the final uh, with another guy, Roger Rogier, from Belgium. And uh, you know it was the year I think I was in yeah, probably my best shape. Sean Kelly, and tickets for this year's Rouleau Classic are on sale now. The event runs from November the 2nd to the 4th and it's themed around the monuments of cycling. Confirmed guests include Felice Gimondi, Adam Hansen, Johan Mazzeo, Cassia Niuadoma, Roger Hammond and Fabian Cancellara. You're listening to the Ruler Podcast. The Vuelta may not have quite the glamour and history of the Tour and the Giro, but it does have a deserved reputation for coming up with new and ever more challenging climbs and routes. Spain's a big country with a lot of areas still undiscovered for pro-cycling purposes. Javier Guillén has been race director for the past eight years. What does he look for in a good Vuelta? We follow more or less a model, you know, when we design Vuelta, but uh, there are two things that like we like. First of all, that each state must be an uh, individual history, okay? And uh, secondly, it's important that the, the, the race goes from the, from the down to the, to the top, and at the end, our dream, or all organized dream, is that uh, Vuelta is decided in the last stage. As we are getting in the last uh, seasons, but it's not, uh, for sure it's not, uh, it's not easy. And how much do you have to bear in mind the fact that it comes after the Tour and after the Giro, um, that it's, you know, it's, it's the last Grand Tour of the year? Yeah, we are the last two for, in the year, but we are quite happy because, uh, uh, first thing, we start in, in summertime, so when people are in, in holidays, we can gather more people in, on, the, on the road. Uh, also, in terms of uh, TV audience uh, we are a fresh product on, on, on summertime so we can gather more people uh, both the TV and and on the on the road and secondly you know if you get the last 10 years and you compare uh, Vuelta participation to other uh, tour and and Giro or you, and you compare Vuelta participation when we were in in April uh, definitely our participation is much much uh, better now. So I think we are in the in the right uh, time, in the right part of the of the calendar. And nobody wants to change. Because originally, and, uh, until the sort of the mid nineties, the Vuelta was in uh, April, and it was the first of the uh, uh, Grand Tours. It was moved to avoid clashing with the Giro. And at the time, I think that wasn't necessarily a popular thing in Spain, was it? But do you think now that people are are happy with its position? Yes, uh, I think so because I see year by year, and I see uh, Vuelta data. You know, every year our audience uh, growing uh, up uh, in terms of uh, TV audience, but not only in Spain, but also internationally speaking, we are growing up. Year by year, we sign more international uh, TV contracts, and year by year, it's something that is recognized not only for for me, not only for for my team, but uh, the rest of the people that works. On Vuelta, we see more and more and more crowd on, on the road. So, to me, I think the evidence is there. Everybody's quite happy. Well, one of the things that people seem to like about the Vuelta is the uh, it's probably the least predictable of the Grand Tours in terms of the winners and in terms of the, of the stage winners and who will perform well there. Yes, it is. I think it's because we introduce uh, a different... Uh, 
model route since the beginning. You know, in, in the past, there were three weeks. So first week for the sprinters, second, uh, second week uh, mid-mountain, uh, last week uh, high mountain. We break uh, down that, you know, since the first weekend we try to introduce some ramps, some uh, mountain stages, something that can break uh, the, the, the race, the overall um, classification. And secondly, and it's something that I recognize is the, maybe as we are at the end of the season, Riders are a little bit uh, tired, they get uh, a lot of kilometers uh, on their legs, and that, uh, you know, makes them more difficult to control the, the race. That's why it's more unpredictable, uh, the race. I think when it, those are the two reasons. And the Tour and the Giro, of course, have the, the Alps, the Pyrenees, the Dolomites. They have the legendary mountains yeah. to include in their routes. How do you compete with that? How does the Vuelta com compete with that? Well, we have richest country in terms of uh, different mountains. You know, the difference between uh, uh, Spain compared to France and Italy is that we have mountains around all the country, in the north, south, east, uh, west. I, you know, I can uh, show you very big and very good mountains in whatever part of Spain, even in the center with the, with the Bola del Mundo. We have our own uh, icons, Lago de Covadonga, uh, Angliru, now uh, Ezaro, Bola del Mundo. What we have to do is to insist and uh, to expect that riders offer us what every year is offering us, competition. Because at the end, the icon depends more than riders than the uh, mountain. The Vuelta has become famous in recent years in particular for introducing really steeper and steeper uh, climbs, not necessarily the the big grand mountains, but but short shorter and really steep. Is, is there a limit to how steep you can go in the world? Do you think? Well, I think the limit is thirty hundred percent because there is nothing uh, higher unless I, I haven't I haven't found. But uh, you said well. I mean, when you you, you introduce this kind of uh, deepest. Uh, uh, ram uh, is because they are short. If they were long, you 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 never did because nobody can uh, write on on that. But I have to say that it works. People likes, and this is something that uh, link us with the epic. And this sport believes from epic. You know, this is most important thing. When you see our past, when you see what uh, our fathers did in, in the past, you only see one thing, epic. And we, we, we need to introduce that epic because we need to, to keep living. Do you feel pressure every year to find a new climb, uh, a new thing that's going to attract attention? Yes, I feel the pressure, which is a very nice uh, pressure. But now we are in a situation where we can combine new discoveries with the traditional uh, places, uh, mountains. And this is what we are, we are doing now. If you see Vuelta two years ago, all our uh, Finnish summit uh, were new, you know, absolutely new. So that showed the strength of, of Spain in, uh, in, the, in those terms. Yeah, always every year we need to surprise with something. And that's nearly it from this podcast. All that remains is the ruler quiz. Last time we asked who came second to Team Sky in the Hammer series at Limburg. The answer, which we pretty much gave away in the podcast, was Team Sunweb. Philip Mercer was obviously listening. He wins a ruler T-shirt of his choice. And that's also the prize this month. And this time the question is, Sean Kelly won the Welter in 1988. Who finished second?
It has to be said, it's not a name that I was familiar with. If you know, usual thing, go to the Ruler website, find the podcast page in the editorial section. All the details of how to enter are there. See you in a couple of weeks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.